Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my friend Kendra Wilson as part of the miniseries on Maharishi Vedic Science. Kendra is a classmate of mine receiving her Master's in Consciousness and Human Potential at MIU, and her daughter, Sophia Rose, makes a special guest appearance. In this episode, Kendra discusses her and her daughter's healing journeys and the benefits they've experienced from Transcendental Meditation and Dr. Joe Dispenza's Meditations. We talked to Sophia about her interactions with star friends and where she was before she was born. Kendra discusses the experience of self-referral consciousness, the power of meditation, and the manifestation of reality from the quantum. Kendra explains how she was able to remember who she is and to incorporate the power of love. Kendra then discusses her goal of getting meditation introduced to schools and of creating collective coherence for students. We then discuss the trade-offs between maintaining the traditional instructional model of TM versus having it be more accessible to the general public. From there, Kendra discusses her interest in measuring consciousness, approving the existence of consciousness after death, and of the phenomenon of superconsciousness. Next, we talk about non-locality and the process of becoming nothing to become everything. We end the conversation discussing world peace, breaking the chains of poverty, and following your dharma. This outro asks, telepathy of the heart? Outros for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. So good afternoon, everybody. I am very excited to be here with my friends Kendra and Sophia Wilson. So excited, Kendra, to have you back on the podcast this time to talk about the Maharishi Vedic Science miniseries. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, who's with you over there? What you need? <laughs> Sophia, she's being a little shy right now. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I can be shy sometimes too, so I get that. Well, really excited to have you on for the show again, as I mentioned, this uh, you were on uh, about a year ago, and this time we're back to talk about our experience at MIU and what, everything we've learned in the master's program in consciousness and human potential. So yeah, maybe uh, with that, Kendra, you could take it away and talk about you know your experience with, with TM and uh, Joe Dispenza. Awesome. Yes, I'd love to. So a year ago, I was still kind of struggling financially with lingering health issues. And my daughter, who's here with me, Sophia, was struggling as well with same kind of thing, lots of food intolerances and high levels of anxiety, diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, Asperger's, things like that. You know, she really... I couldn't leave her alone in the house we lived in. If I went into another room, she'd follow me. She had to avoid gluten, dairy, sugar, all kinds of things. And then I started TM, started relaxing my mind and body, cleansing the nervous system. And Sophia learned the word of wisdom, which is for kids under 10. Um, they start them out with the word of wisdom. And she she started doing better. And then... Fast forward to September, well, I got into Dr. Joe Dispenza as well in May and went to a three-day retreat that changed my life exponentially. I started jogging again, you know, before that I couldn't breathe, couldn't walk up a flight of stairs and just changed my personal habits tremendously. My relationships changed, my friendships grew stronger 
And my life just started to get better. I was able to run some 5Ks last summer, which isn't much for a regular person, but after years of being bedridden, it was it was huge. And then in September, I got a scholarship to go to through the Give to Give Foundation to go to Dr. Joe Dispenza's week-long advanced retreat in Niagara Falls. And I feel like that really did it for both me and Sophia. I mean, just her being around that energy, they do a lot of coherence work. And as you know, in our master's program in the quantum field, there is a coherence effect that is measurable. And Dr. Joe actually has a machine that measures it kind of like a random event generator. And you can see how as people move into their hearts, the the space becomes coherent and people do have spontaneous remissions and he's all science-based. He's you know, if somebody's blind and then they can see at his retreat, he's got his medical team doing scans and then he posts it and shows the part of the brain where it was kind of blocky, where the person was blind. And then after the retreat, it's gone and they can see, you know, I mean, he makes sure that there's medical evidence to support these spontaneous recoveries. And shortly after that, you know, I started being able to eat food again. I had a powerful meditation one of Dr. Joe's meditations where I saw Sophia, I couldn't feel my body and I just kept saying heal and I couldn't control it. It was just like something I was witnessing. And then she, after that, she started eating food again because she was really malnourished, only wanted to eat rice, you know, just was ready for a feeding tube. And then after that, it was just in December, she became more social. She started karate. She eats pizza like a champion, you know, I mean, just gluten like she had eaten it every day of her life. Zero reactions to chocolate. No more. She would eat chocolate in the past and get an explosive nosebleed from the histamine. None of that. She, I don't, I can't remember the last time she had a nosebleed and like she had a sleepover last night. She had never been away from me for very many hours other than school before, let alone overnight. And she did great. She spent the whole next day with her best friend and was like, next time I want to spend three days. (laughs) She's doing karate. You know, she's going to be playing T-ball this summer. I mean, her autism follow-up, her doctor was like, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. I've never seen this turned around before. I've never seen a kid turn around this fast or at all from like autism symptoms. So it truly is, you know, and she does the Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's called the place where thoughts become things meditation. And it's for kids. And there's a kids walking meditation. And she just she eats it up. You know, we don't do them every day. We just when when we feel like we need it, and she does so well with it. And I think just me healing my own self has that coherence effect with you know, I've healed my trauma. So I carry myself differently. And my energy is different. So I'm a healing resourceful space rather than a downward spiral of chaos. And that space helps alleviate her anxiety as well. And and then of course, her having the tools of meditation. So it's just been a really great experience. And I just I feel really grateful. I've turned around my life financially, you know, I've more than doubled my salary even over the past month. I mean, like life is just really kind of magical. I it's it's a it's really great. <laughs> awesome. How old is Sophia and how has her life been impacted by this consciousness journey? She's six years old and we have conversations. It's not so much about the meditations, it's about who you're being in between the meditations and who you're being in your waking time. And we, we talk a lot and she understands a lot. You know, she was just really born wise. And 
I can agree with that. <laughs> Thank you. With regard to that, <laughs> Sophia and I were laying on this vibroacoustic mat. It uses like frequency and sound and it vibrates. It's for meditation. And our friend had it at the house we're staying at and we were laying on it. And Sophia comes out of the blue and started talking about I, oh, I asked her, I said, you know, we're made up of stars, right? Because we were pretending that we were flying throughout our space on this fibroacoustic mat and just enjoying the peaceful music. And she said, I know we're made of stars. And also we have star friends inside of us. And what did you say? What connects Sophia? Remember? Your brain and your heart. And what happens when your brain and your heart connect? Like you said, if you get a broken bone, what happens if your brain and your heart are connected? What do the star friends do inside you? They heal it. That's right. She came out of the blue and said, if your head and your heart's connected, then your star, the star friends heal you. And what did you say about the bad messages that they do when you, if you get bad messages, your star friends, what do they do to them? They get rid of them? Yes. Yeah. You could say that. They get rid of them. They get rid of them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yes. How do you interact with your star friends? How do they talk to you? Do you feel it? Do you hear it? I hear it. In your ears? Or is it like in your brain or your heart? Um, in my heart. And is it is it when you're awake or when you're asleep dreaming? When I'm asleep dreaming. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Does it ever happen when you're awake also? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you remember what you told me when Grandma Dippity used to live with us? You said something about star friends, the blue star friends who visited. But when grown-ups see them, what do they turn? Do you remember that? Invisible. Mm-hmm. Invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Sophia, can I ask another question? Yes. Where were you before you were born? Just thinking. Where did you live before you were born, before you came to mommy? You forgot you just talked about it the other day. You lived in the stars, remember? Yeah, you could say that. I lived in the stars? Yeah, is that what you remember, though? Yes. And do you remember the time you told me that you had to find me and you had to go to the woods and find the prayer? Do you remember telling me that? It was kind of a long time ago. Mm. Okay, well, do you remember remember having to go to the woods and find the prayer before you came to Mommy? Yes. You do remember that. What was that like? What were the woods like? It was rainy. It was rainy. And then what happened after you found the prayer? Where'd you go? Um, in your belly. In your belly. <laughs> <laughs> and so just, just so I can understand, it sounds like this happened maybe a couple years ago. Sophia told you about a time she remembered before she was born and how she found you. Am I am I? Understanding correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is that's actually true. I used to dig rocks and crystals up in Florissant, Colorado. I had this cabin in Woodland Park, and I I believe I was single at the time, but I knew I had been communicating with her. She came to me during a crystal bull meditation and said, I'm Sophia Rose, and you're my mom. And I just knew that, you know, six months later when I got pregnant, it was her. But prior to that, I was told that I couldn't have kids with PCOS and different like precancerous stuff I had going on. I was just told to forget about it, get a hysterectomy. And I'm not one for surgery. I'm more heal it and figure it out. And I did a bunch of work 
and working in a yurt, doing meditations, using herbal medicine, you know, cannabis, all kinds of things. And I, I put this prayer into one of the crystals that I dug. It was a smoky quartz crystal. And I lived in near the forest in Woodland Park and I buried it during a full moon ceremony that I did. And my prayer was that I would be blessed with this kid that I knew I was supposed to have in my lifetime. It just felt like my fate, my dharma. And I think you even talked about on our last discussion, you know, you had some type of of, I can't remember if it was a dream or some type of connection that, you know, you were going to have a child and that's kind of what led up to this point, right? Exactly. Yeah. I've had, I had so much communication with Sophia that it was just, when I was actually pregnant, I was back at the same year in Woodland Park. It was, um, Sacred Hoop Ministries. They don't do anything anymore. They're kind of retired Roxanne and Jim, but I spent a lot of time there and they were two magnificent people, shamanic practitioners and healers, and they just worked wonders. And when I was at this crystal bowl meditation, it was June of 2016, my guide said, leave here and go get a pregnancy test. And I like been with Sophia's dad for about six months and I went home and it was positive and it was just weeks into a pregnancy. So I'm shocked that it was positive, but I knew I, without a question that when I figured out the gender, it was going to be Sophia Rose. And yeah. The fact that she just remembered that journey of having to find the prayer first before she could find me and, you know, that she had a hard time finding me. She used yeah. to draw pictures on this little blackboard a couple of years ago, like during COVID and stuff. She would draw pictures of where she was and she'd draw me pregnant, you know, pregnant with her in my belly. And then she'd draw the, the forest and the, she drew a star and said, this was me looking for you. And it was just really yeah. sweet. Wow. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sophia, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so much fun talking to you. Awesome. Well, that was so fun talking to Miss Sophia. So Kendra, let's talk about, you know, what are maybe high level thoughts now that we're call it almost three semesters into the MIU program? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, gosh, last year I was just coming out of being really sick for a long time being financially broke and I didn't really have a job that was consistent. I had been bedridden with Lyme disease for years and I could only eat two foods until recently. So the big thing for me is just knowing that we really are our own creators of our destiny and we really can do anything. My life is a complete 180 since last year. I have a great job. I have a beautiful place to live. I can eat pizza. <laughs> you know, it sounds silly, but for years I couldn't. And so I really have been encompassing that knowledge that we really are our own divine creators. We are gods and goddesses in the flesh. And it just becomes so obvious to me all the time. And although I do really love the Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations. I do have powerful moments when I'm in transcendental meditation and in that mildly transcended state. I know I'm nowhere near a lot of the great masters, of course, but the moments that I've had of being awake to my own self in that self-referral consciousness have been life-altering. For example, just last week I had an experience and I was half asleep, so I was really in that delta or the theta brainwave state, the lower, slower meditative states. And 
I was experiencing other people's thoughts. I have a friend in Florida. Yeah. And I was like, why am I in this guy Kevin's head? You know, <laughs> it was really weird, but it just reminded me that we're not separate. We have our own individual expression of divinity, but overall we truly are one. And that in itself has helped me to love more, especially when I witness things that are really challenging to love. And I believe that my triggers are a gift to me to show me where I'm not free. And also when I see something undesirable in society with people, with the news, not that I watch it often, but when I do, I think of it as another part of me that just needs more love. You know what I mean? And so it has really helped me to open my heart and I feel like I'm thriving and I'm thriving in love and the love that I feel it's within my own self. And that's something that a year ago I couldn't have even dreamt of what this feels like. And yet I wake up every day and I feel full. I feel whole. And I do take part in a local Joe Dispenza meditation group for people who've been to the week-long retreats and have learned his breath work and his intense meditations that can be lengthy. And I love every minute of them. They're, they've been life-changing for sure. And when I left there yesterday, I couldn't even go home and eat dinner. I was so full and it was just a spiritual fullness. Wow. Have you experienced that in your journey yet? <laughs> Not to that extent, but I've definitely, you know, I think I first came across the idea of like transmutation, right? From Ram Dass's teachings and the whole idea that like, we have other ways of nourishing our physiology outside of food. It seemed like such a crazy idea to me at the time, but the more I've come to understand the nature of consciousness and the nature of human physiology in that it is infinite, right? It's It makes total sense what you're saying. Yeah, we are absolutely infinite beings. And the more we get to know ourselves, the more our relationships with others change and heal or end completely. You know, a year ago, I was still trying to communicate with my mom, who's an alcoholic and, you know, just not a healthy, safe person. And I love her, but I also had to love myself enough to realize that I just can't have anything to do with her. And I had to grieve my own living mother as if she were dead and love myself enough to do that. And that was a really weird thing. And loving myself first has also been a really hard thing as a mother, which was huge in my healing journey. But again, when I was able to be brave enough to do that, it opened my heart to love so much more. So it healed my bond with my daughter that wasn't too strained, but I had been sick for years and there were some voids that she had from that still, you know, but she's healed, I'm healing, and it just, it all feels like a miracle. And I did do, there There was a period when I was doing the Dr. Joe Dispenza Center of the Magnet meditation every single morning, getting up at three o'clock in the morning, and it's a three and a half hour, three hour meditation. And it was one of those experiences where not a whole lot happened. I didn't really have these mystical experiences right away. But one of the last days that I was able to get up and do it, I was so out of it. I was so tired. I was just 
beaten down. Like Mm. I really wanted a mystical experience. And then I stopped caring and that the beauty of surrender was so powerful. And I wasn't even into healing myself anymore. I stopped using that as my intention. And my intention was just to be more love, to really open my heart because that's all that really matters. And I was laying on the couch. There's a part, you sit up, you do some breath work, you lay down, you sit up, do some breath work. And then at the very end, you lay down. And when I was laying down, I could hear myself snoring, but I knew I was not asleep. And I wanted to like slap myself to make my body stop snoring, but I couldn't move my entire body. It was just completely limp and numb, but it wasn't scary. I knew that something was happening and I trusted it because I really felt wrapped in divine love. And then I saw my daughter's face just appear in front of me and she has like what they call stork bite birthmarks. And then this angel appeared in my vision and I couldn't control it. I couldn't control anything. I couldn't even move. And she said, those are angel kisses. And I later looked up and some people, those birthmarks, angel kisses. And then all of a sudden I said out loud, I said, heal while looking in my daughter's eyes. And I said it three times and that was in December. And it was pretty much after that when she really did start to heal and start to eat more than just rice or, you know, she, it took time, you know, it didn't happen instantaneously, but a lot of things kind of did, you know, she just, we'd be in the store and she'd ask to try food, like really different things that a picky kid wouldn't like miso soup and I'd buy it and she'd love it and devour it. And I'm like, you know, not react to it. And it had gluten. And I'm like, you know what? I, if I want to talk the talk, I have to walk the walk. Like, you know, I went and I did get her an EpiPen because I'm like, if we're going to try things, we're going to make sure we have a new up-to-date EpiPen. (laughs) But thank God we haven't needed it at all. And, you know, she really, she's doing great. She's social, she's healthy and my own body is healthy. You know, after not being able to eat sugar for six years or gluten or dairy, I haven't been brave enough to try gluten yet. And it's just me in my own way. I think if I ate it right now, I'd be just fine. But I've had like dairy and stuff and I've been totally fine. And it just feels like, it it just feels like home. I feel like I'm coming home to myself. Like I'm unraveling all of the stress that I've been mismanaging my whole life. And it is this beautiful journey of transcendental meditation, of Joe Dispenza meditation, of, you know, of what I'm doing in between meditation, because you can have a big moment, have a mystical experience like that. I just opened my heart and it just blew me open. But then if you start, you know, getting back into your old routines, your old patterns and habits, those old chemical addictions, like in our own, the stress hormones that we're addicted to, it can be, it's like you almost waste your meditation. And I had to really get honest with myself, with who I was being in between my meditations and bridge that gap between who I want to be and who I'm being all the time, you know, and there's who I'm being when I'm in my zone, when I'm happy and free and things are going well, but I've had beautiful gifts of experiences of crazy health flares even recently. And it's like, okay, well, how can I lean into this? Who am I being right now? How did I bring this up? 
because there's something that I'm not working on. So once I, once it clicks and I figure it out, the symptoms go away and I'm back to eating pizza again. I'm back to jogging again. And I run like five miles, which a year ago I had to take inhalers and breathing treatments and couldn't even walk up a flight of stairs. So it all just, it's, it's coming along. And, you know, I didn't get one of those instantaneous, spontaneous remissions like people talk about. And I'm grateful because I didn't like who I was being in the world. And I needed all of this to change who I was being so that I could become aware of my own self and all of the people in my life change. Because when we change, the world becomes our mirror. And you know, my relationships are healthier. It's my whole world is just different. I have energy because I'm not putting it in the past or in the future. I do my best to stay present. And even today, it sounds silly, but for years I had a hard time driving long distances. I think even like maybe last summer I had to have you drive when we went somewhere because I was in one of those weird flares where I get really dizzy and I can't see straight and, you know, neurological old Lyme junk flaring. And Today, I, you know, I would normally dread driving more than 15 or 20 minutes on the interstate because of that, those symptoms. But today I drove over an hour one way and I was completely fine. I just felt so wrapped in love, present in the moment and relaxed. And it just made me realize that all of those symptoms live in the past person. And I don't even know who that is anymore. <laughs> so um, thank you. It's this beautiful story. And it's so cool to see how how much your health has changed and just your overall well-being. And it's cool. I mean, I've seen it firsthand in the time we've known each other, just how transformative it's been. So I'm curious to know, like, because you've always been very in tuned with altered states of consciousness and shamanism and spiritual planes of existence, right? So it's not like the idea of there being more to reality is necessarily new to you or anything. So I'm curious, like, what was the change that happened, you know, when you got more into TM and Joe Dispenza's work that kind of caused you to maybe internalize and decide for yourself, like, hey, like not only, you know, like that, like meditation itself can be a healing practice. Yeah, absolutely. I think meditation is the healing practice. What changed for me was instead of experiencing it and knowing it cognitively, I... I embodied it. I went within myself truly and transcended just the thought of, hey, I know that spontaneous remission happens. I know that people have healed themselves with meditation. And yeah, I've done different types of meditation, but never like TM or Joe Dispenza's work. I mean, those things are really their treasure. And it helped me, I would say the best word would be to remember who I am and I made a comment yesterday at the dispenser group I was in. I said, what journey did you choose in this lifetime to help you remember who you are, which is everything? We're pure love in human form. And I believe that on the level of the unified field, which I know, Jordan, you are well aware of what the unified field is, but you know, maybe somebody listening isn't, it's that space on the Planck scale of 10 to the minus 33 centimeters of space where everything is indistinguishable. And that's the science of it. It's indistinguishable. Nothing is separate. And in the spiritual world, you know, some people might call that God or creator. And I feel like being able to have that experience firsthand, which is what TM does, which is what Joe Dispenza does, it really brings it home 
and home is within ourselves. It's who we are. So I think that was the big change for me. I would do shamanic journeys. I would have these really profound experiences. And then I would go back into my crazy patterns and mismanaging stress. I was just, I was carrying things and I didn't know how to carry it. So it turned into disease for me. And those things were the greatest gifts that could have ever happened because it got me on this path, you know, a year ago when doctors said I shouldn't be alive with high sweat chloride and 30 years of Lyme and mast cell disease and all this stuff and eating two foods and not breathing. I started, I went back to school for consciousness and human potential because I cognitively knew that I could do so much more. I read tons of books on spontaneous remission and you know, this path really, it led me to this path of healing and it happened so quickly for me. It seemed like, and I still have a way to go, you know, but I don't care anymore. I'm not obsessing over it. I don't put my attention and energy into like, when am I going to be able to run that marathon? I really want to run. I'd love to, I'd love to do it tomorrow, but you know, if it takes a year or two, if it takes 10 years, I just surrender and I just do what my body allows me to do each day. And I'm grateful for it. And I noticed too, I was having a conversation with a doctor yesterday or a woman working on her PhD in quantum physics, actually. And she had been through a similar healing journey as me. And she's like, I just have gained so much weight. And I said, the big thing for me was just loving the things about myself and going into that state of consciousness of instead of being mad about something that you don't like about yourself, just really loving it. You know, I I looked like I was pregnant for most of my life from all the Lyme bacteria and parasites. And when I just started loving my stomach, it went away. Like it's flatter than it's ever been in my life. When my hair was thinner than I had liked, I just started putting love and energy into my scalp, into my hair. And just, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. And it, you know, I have all these crazy baby hairs growing and it's just, it's crazy what love can do at the end of the day. And I feel like that's what really helped heal my daughter. That's, and it's what I want to bring into school systems. I would love to get transcendental meditation or something similar into public and private school systems. I mean, every other week there's like, it seems like there's another school shooting and it's mismanaged stress. I have to also ground myself and look at it as that's a part of me that needs love. What part of me is mismanaging stress? And then what can I do about it? So the biggest challenge has just been how to figure out (laughs) which meditation to introduce to the school, something that doesn't seem like it has religion attached to it, something that is solely science-based and something that is simple, which Joe Dispenza's meditations tend to... You have to work for them, but they're worth every second of it. Getting people on board with that might be tricky. And transcendental meditation has so many benefits and it's scientifically sound, but the puja, the ceremony that you do to receive your mantra, it's it's simple. It's a short 20 minute meditation twice a day. I feel like that's a really easy thing to get people on board with, but the ceremony might be triggering for people because it might come across as religious, even though it's not. And that's been my biggest hangup lately. I think that has, in fact, been something that's caused hangups in the past for TM in schools. And, you know, I think it has been more successful outside of the U.S., but unfortunately, a lot of schools push back against what they consider religion in school, like you said. And I think that there's a lot of solutions around it, right? I mean, I think, one, you make it optional. Two, you 
give them TM as one of many options that they can practice if they want to explore meditation, right? Like you don't have to pick a specific one. Obviously, I think there's more scientific research backing certain ones than others. And they're the ones that we always talk about. But at the end of the day, like if you give kids the choice, if you can opt out of it and, you know, the results obviously speak for themselves. But, you know, it has been an uphill battle overcoming that. I think that we're hopefully getting to a point where that's changing. And I do get a lot of I do hear a lot of like anecdotal accounts of schools or organizations that are trying it and seeing great success. So it feels like it's happening, although, you know, certainly not at the rate we would like it to be happening. Right. I think that's part of why we meditate. Patience, I think, is the big reminder here. And for me, I've just been putting things together, working with TM teachers, instructors, and coming up with a pitch so that I can have an educated presentation when I, my goal is to go into schools and meet with principals and school psychologists and talk about these things. The other issue with TM is that it would, I don't feel comfortable going into low income schools and asking each person to pay between, you know, anywhere from 150 to $800 because the parents ideally should learn as well, optionally, of course. And I think if the teachers did one, because it's practiced twice a day, one TM in school, or the kids can sit and play or read silently for 20 minutes and have quiet time, which they would still be affected by the quantum coherence, which just means when enough people are meditating and in the alpha brainwave state, which is measured with EEGs, they create a coherence. It creates peace. It's measurable. It's been measured. It's been studied all over. You can Google the Maharishi effect. And when, you know, the square root of 1% of a population is practicing transcendental meditation, the crime rates go down, you know, poverty changes into abundance slowly, but not that slow. And, you know, disease goes away. People just start being healthy. So it really is, it's about the individual, but it's about the collective whole, because at the end of the day, we are all one. So if there are a bunch of kids who don't want to meditate, they're still going to have their lives affected in a positive way by being in a room or a school who every day practices transcendental meditation at 10 a.m. for 20 minutes, you know, and eventually their hearts will change. I really believe that. And they might get interested and start doing it. But even if they don't, they're still being affected. And so the big thing is the cost. I don't even feel good about raising money to pay that much money. You know, I so I've been working with trying to connect with the David Lynch Foundation to see if there's some options there. It's really hard to get in touch with anybody. I've been given a lot of resources and some of them don't even have contacts on their page. So it's been an interesting journey. And then there are other things that are similar, like the Deepak app and his meditation is very similar to TM. I don't believe, I don't know much about it other than what Jordan has told me, but I feel like it's very similar to TM. It's short, you have a mantra, and you don't have to go through the ceremony. And it's also extremely affordable. So that might be something, a direction to go into. You know, I've also reached out to Dr. Joe Dispenza's team, his Encephalon Medcare team, and sent them my testimonial as well as my idea and to see if he wants to come up with a short meditation that can get people into their hearts and out into space, into the quantum, into nothingness, which is what he really likes to do. And 
it really wakes people up. And if he could do that, then, you know, my idea was to have like a QR code people can scan and send a $5 donation. And then if they can't pay, there's a button that says I can't pay and they still can have the meditation and download it. Because if 10 million people give five bucks or some people give 20 or some people give nothing at the end, you know, they're going to make money and I'm willing to donate my time for free because like I love people and (laughs) kids and the planet. And I just, I want to see people live the best lives that they can live because most people are not living, you know, they're just getting closer to their death or their bodies are living longer, but they're not living. And there's a different world out there when you start diving into yourself and, you know, it's not pretty. (laughs) I went through some big dark nights of the soul, but I came out the other side and there, there were moments when I was like wondering if I was losing my actual sanity and if I needed to check myself into a psych ward, because when you go through such profound change, what maybe doesn't feel quickly, but it is, it can, you become somebody new and that old person, you experience cellular genetic death. I mean, it's, that's a real thing. You upregulate good genes and healthy, happy genes and you downregulate sick genes. That's what you do. It's epigenetics and you experience a cellular genetic death of the old self and it feels like you're going crazy. And you know, that's the not so pretty side of it, but that same experience can happen in therapy with EMDR, different modalities for healing trauma. So I think dealing with it in meditation and being in a group, you know, maybe the kids at school can talk about it and then their second TM meditation will be at home with their families, you know, and meditate as a group. And obviously not every family is going to be okay with that. And, you know, not every home life is a pleasant experience, but if the greater whole is doing some sort of heart-based meditation to get people into their hearts and out into the quantum and experience that nothingness, I know that world peace is a thing we will experience in our lifetimes. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. A hundred percent. And would love to come back to the topic of world peace. I, I think you just made a lot of really profound and important points and just wanted to provide a little bit more context for some folks with regards to some of the things we're talking about here. So first thing I want to talk about is we talk about meditation as a broad category, right? I think most people aren't necessarily, at least who haven't worked with it themselves, aren't aware that there are very different types of meditation techniques that are out there with very different processes and very different outcomes, right? And so as you think about the comparison that Maharishi always talks about is, right, if you think about the mind as an ocean, right? A lot of what folks are familiar with today from like calm and headspace is more about either being aware of the waves on the ocean and recognizing them or and labeling them potentially or trying to actively still the waves at the top of the ocean. And look, while that type of stuff can certainly have a lot of benefits, it doesn't have near the same amount of stress relieving benefits initially. And then the development of higher states of consciousness that the third category of meditation, which is known as like auto transcending meditation can achieve. And so as we talk about the techniques that I think have the most research behind them, the most promise, the ones that we've obviously talked a lot about are transcendental meditation, Joe Dispenza's, there, there's some uh, quite a number of other great ones emerging that I've talked about on the show. But just to bring that all back together, you know, one of the places that w- 
we've struggled with the faculty at MIU in, in the past and not struggled necessarily, but just I think there's been more charged conversations is that the current process for learning transcendental meditation, A, can be challenging for folks because it can be cost prohibitive for folks. You have to do four classes in person. Now, a lot of this traces back to the maintenance of the Vedic tradition and making sure that the ceremony remains pure and intact as it has for thousands of years. So I certainly understand that there's always kind of a an ebb and flow and evolution and creation and destruction. So we don't want to come in like a wrecking ball and ruin it. But at the same time, we also have thought that because we have new technologies that are opening up virtual opportunities and you can record meditations now that potentially there's other business models that can help to get transcendental meditation accessed by more people more quickly. The other thing that I think is important to bring up, and Kendra, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. You know, I think in the past, the TM community and MIU has tended to be a little bit insular with regards to the research that they've done and very much so with regards to kind of the emphasis on TM as being the best practice for meditation. And I I can certainly understand that because I think there have been a lot of different groups that have come or different types of meditation techniques that have come and gone and have not proved the benefits that TM has and, and other modalities have. But, and I think there's even been, you know, cases of kind of nefarious groups that have tried to harpoon TM and make it sound less credible. So uh, again, I, you know, we're coming in this newer to the movement and to the, you know, decades of research and work that's been done. But I think one of the places that we view there to be opportunity is to look at the other groups like Joe Dispenza, like the Monroe Institute that are doing really interesting things and often are building on the research and the philosophies that Maharishi himself brought to the West. So that's a lot, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on all that, Kendra. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said that more beautifully. Thank you for your wisdom and input. I agree completely. I I forgot about the Monroe Institute. Good God, like you got me turned on to that last summer and I still will do some of those meditations as well. And I have transcendental experiences and, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza pays his own money for research because he knows he, he sees people in wheelchairs with multiple sclerosis who can walk now, you know, he sees cancers go away in a weekend. The retreat I went to in May last year, I, I couldn't walk across the room. And then by the end of it, I was jogging. (laughs) So, and I changed my whole life completely, like really bad patterns. I cut them off. And so, yeah, there are tons of really well, incredible meditations out there. It's TM is wonderful. And everything that the researchers and the staff at MIU say about it is absolutely true. It's wonderful. But I understand that they're a bit biased and that they think it's the only way to experience higher states of consciousness. But I disagree completely. I have experienced greater states of consciousness doing Joe Dispenza's meditations and also doing some of the Monroe Institute meditations as well, just out of this world experiences and in a lot faster. And I work with a TM instructor who's also one of our classmates and experiences he's having after 10 years of meditation practicing TM, I've had in less than a year, or I guess just over a year, but a lot of them happened in less than a year. So they kind of, for me, they all build on each other. I don't combine my meditations, but I go to the same space. It's all connecting to the quantum field. It's all, but you can't get there if you don't connect to your heart and open your heart. In my opinion, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's possible because your heart and love is everything in my opinion. So 
you know, I think if, I don't know, like we're younger and we are new to this and I always want to go in and change the system because that's who I am. And I think it's who you are too, Jordan, or the class rebels, I guess. But <laughs> it's not for any negative purpose. It's to get TM into school systems, yeah. to military academies, to karate academies, you know, get more people doing this and make it accessible. One of the same student who I just mentioned, I won't spare his name for his sake, but he is a TM instructor and he's also said, I wish we could make this more affordable because then it would be more accessible to people. And he's an instructor and I totally agree. Yes, they have to eat and feed their families. They deserve every penny they get. But when you have a more modern business approach that, you know, Jordan, you're great with that kind of thing. I, there's so much you can do. You can lower the cost and get more revenue (laughs) or reach more people. And you're making the same amount of money, if not more by doing some of those things and making those adjustments. So I think it's a really old system. And if I can't change the system, then I'm going to find something different to get into schools, you know, something that we can work with something that's not going to trigger people. And I'm interested to see, I have a meeting tomorrow to find out what this TM instructor suggests when I talk about the ceremony to receive your mantra and how that is perceived as religious. You know, how do I deal with that? That's a really big thing. And I'm curious to see what (laughs) what he comes up with, but there's a part in my heart that just says there's something else too. you know, keep doing TM and advocate for it. It'll reach those who are seeking it. And also there are various other meditations that are just as sound. And maybe I'm meant to reach out to the Monroe Institute. Maybe that's somebody who I can come up with to create a 20, 25 minute meditation for schools and parents that can be donation based. If it's no dollars or $20, you know, whatever they, I'd feel better about going to low income schools where people, kids are bringing guns to school already. Like you think they've got six or $800 to drop on meditation maybe, but do you think they're going to, I don't know, maybe, but it's very unlikely. (laughs) So yeah, I think there are definitely other credible meditations out there and you know, the research is there. That is one of the things that I struggle with is with the team community, that bias that it's all there is. And it is good. It's probably one of the best meditations out there. And it is, it's scientifically backed and it's sound and it's life changing. It's wonderful. I encourage everybody who can afford to go out and learn transcendental meditation and practice it regularly because you have to stay consistent with anything you do. And you know, that's the big thing for people is finding time. But for me, at least I noticed that the more I meditate, the more time I have and the more creative I become. So it makes it possible and doable. And I think there's an old saying, like if, you know, if you're stressed out, meditate for 30 minutes. If you feel like you don't have time, meditate for an hour or something like that. I know I got that way wrong, but (laughs) you get the point. I feel that way. And when I feel defeated and tired at the end of a day, I'm going to sit down and do one of the longer Joe Dispenza meditations with really intense breath work and breathe into my pineal gland. And, you know, I'm going to go for it. And at the end of it, I always feel better. So again, but selling that to a group of students to schools is going to be tough, but coming up with a 20 minute meditation, I think would be really great. I think schools really need something. I've been really advocating for it, but I need to just figure it out, have a good product and get out to the world. So that's the phase I'm in now is figuring out which meditation I'm going to go with because there are so many barriers to TM. 
Interesting. And so a couple of things. I mean, I'm curious to know more about why helping students learn how to transcend and to meditate is so important to you. And then, you know, what are your thoughts on what your path forward is going to look like post-graduation? Great questions. <laughs> so the first one is easy. I love kids. I think that I know they're obviously the future of this planet. I want them to have a healthy, safe planet to live on. And I that starts with the self. I used to be so focused on external things, thinking that if I change my environment, I can be happy. And then my environment changed. I started living in a beautiful million-dollar home, and I was miserable. I was unhealthy. I was broke. And so for me, being able to go within and learn meditation, starting with TM and other various meditations, the Monroe, the Dispenza, it really helped me to know myself. And I think to know the self is the, I believe that's the greatest gift anybody can have. And for kids to start at a young age or even in teenage years, and even if high school is the first time they start meditating, that's still really young. Like I'm going to be 37 next month. And I just started really, truly meditating a year ago. And my whole entire life has had, I've experienced a total 180. So for kids to have this gift, for the youth to be able to do this, not only is that going, it's going to change them individually, even if they don't care completely in the beginning, it, at some point, something's going to wake up inside of them. And once you get to know yourself, you can know anybody. Your intuition wakes up, your health improves, your stress levels go down, and things that you thought you cared about probably won't mean very much. And things that are really important will start to mean more. You know, people start living a heart-centered life and I truly believe that that's the way to world peace, you know, getting getting kids involved in meditation early, whether it's elementary school or high school, I think that's the way for world peace. And again, I just, I love kids. I've been a teacher, you know, in the past, and that was one of the biggest things is seeing people suffer, you know, as an empath, of course, makes me sad. <laughs> I want to see everybody win and I know it's possible. And I think that's the way. And then post-grad, once I finished grad school at MIU, honestly, I have been so into the moment and really trusting the unknown, which has opened so many doors. You know, I mean, I've gotten out of credit card debt. I've, you know, just really completely turned my entire life around by trusting the unknown. But for my vision, I would obviously love to work on a PhD. I don't know if I'll stay at MIU because I don't want to travel to Fairfield and I love the Maharishi Vedic sciences. I don't know if that's where my heart is completely. I might, Dr. Joe Dispenza has that quantum mm -hmm. university. They have an online PhD program in Hawaii. It's all online though. And there are some other ones. Staybrook University, I think has some really great PhD mm -hmm. programs. So I, it's based in California, but it's also online. I might've said that wrong, but I've been thinking about that. Like, what can I do? To, I'm more interested in the quantum physics world, you know, wow. in consciousness. So I don't know what that looks like right now, but I feel like it's going to become more obvious. And then my biggest passion is just helping people reach their potential. And I think a good start to doing that would just be to start advocating in schools and, you know, let that turn into whatever it's going to turn into. If I could 
be speaking in front of millions of people, teaching them how to love themselves and open their hearts, you know, that I feel like I could thrive in that environment. And again, being in schools, helping kids reach their potential at such a young age, I think, I just feel like that's a big part of my dharma is to teach, is to teach this somehow, somewhere. (laughs) And one of the other things that I know you're interested in is being able to show that consciousness persists after death. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Thank you. Yes, that's actually one of my biggest passions. <laughs> I Sometimes I get too lost in the moment and I forget I'm a little bit all over the place. But yeah, I would love to do research. And maybe in, when I pursue my PhD, that's likely what it's going to be. I've been really passionate about finding a way to measure consciousness. And at MIU, they do have great tools for that. They, Dr. John Hagelin, who's a physicist and he graduated from Harvard. I mean, he's one of, he's the president of MIU and he said that they have a high powered scale and that might be one of the things that I'm interested in. And I think just proving that death doesn't exist, I think that could create world peace in people Because so many times people have fear based around death and it's completely subconscious. Like there's so many people who don't do things on the day-to-day basis because of this underlying fear that they have and they might not even be consciously aware of it. So I think that being able to prove that consciousness exists beyond death, I think that would create a level of peace within humanity that would just have a beautiful ripple effect around the world. You know, I would love to be the one to research that. And if somebody copies me, that's even better because I just want it to be out there. And I've been really passionate about people who've had near-death experiences and just hearing their stories and a lot of, t- I love Dr. Raymond Moody. He's one of my favorites. He's on Gaia. On, I think it's Rachel Gar has an episode of Inspirations. It's really old, but it's so, so good. And he has a book called Life After Life. He's an MD, PhD, and he debunks a lot of the ideas of like, well, maybe it's just oxygen deprivation or, you know, all these things. But it's like, well, why are the doctors witnessing their life story or why are the doctors seeing things and having experiences? And, They've also had instances where people have been getting a brain scan due to seizures and during the is EEG brain scan, they die and there's like, and there's, but then they come back and then they have this experience, you know, and it's like, well, their brain was dead too. It wasn't just their heart. It wasn't just oxygen. So I think there's a lot more to near death experiences and I'm super interested. I'm always open to hear stories, you know, and they just kind of come to me in divine right timing. And I just, I would love to do research in that field of proving that consciousness exists after death. And a lot of times people say they actually become more conscious. Like there's a super consciousness that occurs and there's no time or space. And a lot of times people experience that in meditation. And it's a little bit different when you actually die because you we have to slow down our vibration so much to become matter that when we die, we just, we speed up and we become everything. There's no time or space. There's no distance. People are like, yeah, I was in like Asia, but also here in Denver, Colorado, you know, and it's like, wait a minute. Or I was in a, in a planet, you know? And so I just, I think that's so fascinating. 
And I can believe that because when I was experiencing being in other people's thoughts and heads, I've been practicing TM, doing my TM meditation. My daughter's in the room and I'm thinking her thoughts and I'm like, and I know that I'm inside of her body wow. thinking her thoughts. It's the weirdest thing. But then there's this part of me that's like, well, duh, you know, and I can't, it's hard to understand when I'm not in meditation the way that I understand it when I'm physically experiencing it. Yeah. Could you explain for folks the idea of non-locality of consciousness? Yeah, absolutely. So consciousness is everything. You know, it's all that we are. We see, we are so limited by our senses that we think that we believe that our face is our personality. We believe that's who we are. We So consciousness is the root of everything in that unified field where super strings come from, where <clears throat> everything is created. So when we're outside of our material world, the world, the Newtonian physics, which is like, you know, classic old school physics of the apple falls and it hits the ground kind of thing, cause and effect physics, but really we're causing an effect and we are the effect we, and we're the cause, we're all of it. And so with regard to non-locality, we, you can be in multiple places at once. I like at the Monroe Institute, they do a lot of great things with regard to that. They teach, you know, astral traveling and all that stuff. And it really is getting out of our own way. <laughs> and when you can get to that space in meditation where you're nothing, where you're not a mind, you're not a body, you're not a being, you don't have an identity anymore. You realize that by becoming nothing, you become everything. And you know, it explains psychic things. It explains, I have this weird ability to be able to read people's thoughts. I don't love it. <laughs> and I try to ignore it as much as possible. And it's not always there, but I've been that way my whole life. And the only way to really explain that is through the non-locality of consciousness, because that person's not separate from me. So, you know, it's really, and some things go way over my head and I miss them completely. So it's a really weird dynamic, but we're really weird dynamic beings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is that, like you explain the ocean, there's the wave of the ocean and there's the silent depths of the deep, dark ocean. And it's all the same body. That's exactly what we are. Each human is like a wave of the ocean. But when you dive deeper, rather than trying to analyze each wave, you realize it's all just the ocean. And that's the best way I think to explain consciousness is that, you know, the stars in the sky and the stardust within us. And, you know, it's, it all comes from that consciousness from an excitation in a quantum field that decides that, you know, you needed to be here. I needed to be here. And I think we came here to remember who we are <laughs> and that, you know, sounds really simple, but with years of conditioning with years of, you know, traumas with years of, you know, basic everyday societal things, money and all the stresses. It's easy to forget who we are. And, you know, I can dive down a rabbit hole of maybe they, whoever they are trying to make sure we forget who we are so that we don't rise up into our own consciousness and realize that you can literally create anything. I'm literally anything. If you want it and believe it, it's there. And then I mean, there is a level of like entitlement that people in this work might experience. And it's not that, <laughs> yes, you are worthy to receive. Yes, you are worthy to create, but you also have to work through your rubbish. If you want to get there, you have to get in alignment, be patient, 
let go of how and why it's going to happen and just trust that, you know, you really are just pure consciousness. You really are everything. And, you know, and I think my work with wanting to prove that death is just a physical body thing and that our consciousness expands, it's all kind of related to this consciousness journey that, you know, there's no, there really is nothing to fear. Fear isn't, I think Joe Dispenza says this, so I won't claim this is my own, but fear isn't the opposite of love. It's the separation from it. And I really feel that, you know, when I feel fear, I don't, I can't feel love at all. There's no part of it. It can't, it just doesn't exist in the same realm. But when I can move into love and gratitude, there's nothing that I fear. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. And in that space, you know, if we can hold that vibration, we really can do everything. We really are all superhuman. And the beautiful thing is, because I, maybe you're not thinking this, but maybe you've asked this in the past is, well, yeah, people can use that to do bad things. But my thing is that true consciousness, I believe is pure love. And I'd love to prove that somehow. I don't even know how I could do that, but I know it's possible. And I believe that if you truly want to create, you have to create from your heart. You can do the matter to matter thing and do crappy things in the world and be destructive. But I feel like if we can all get into our hearts and rise up, we truly are unstoppable power. Because when you're coming from a space of love and your intentions are pure, you can create anything. But if you're not coming from love and your intentions aren't pure, you can do bad things. But at the end of the day, if the collective whole is in their hearts creating from love, that's going to take over. And that that's when world peace really, I believe, really does happen. And I think that we're in a space where we're going to see it in our lifetimes. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on world peace as a concept, as a achievable reality? And what do you think that could look like? I feel like it's my dharma in the weirdest way. Ever since I was a little girl, I would walk around with my little wagon, like picking up rubbish in the streets. You know, I mean, I just, I've always cared about the planet. I've always cared about people. I've always been overly empathetic and empathic. And I've always had this vision of speaking in front of people. I don't know what I'm speaking about, but probably something along these lines. And I truly believe that it's possible. I, I, it's almost like I know it's possible. My heart, when I go into my heart, I know it. I just, I, it's, about being in the now, letting go of how it's going to happen, what it's supposed to look like and surrendering, but also being the flow instead of going with the flow, also being okay with being the flow and being proactive when I need to be proactive and slowing down and flowing when I need to slow down and flow. And that's a dance that I think everybody does every day. But I really feel like the answer to world peace is consciousness. It's getting people awake to their own selves and diving within. And a lot of people don't want to do that. You know, when I have friends still from back when I was sick with Lyme who I'm like, look at my life. I was way worse than you. And now I'm like doing phenomenal and not just with my health, with money, with everything. You know, I'm just, I'm so happy all the time. And I, it's genuine. Yeah. And I'm like, just do these meditations, read this book. And they don't want to do it. They're like, I'd rather have a pill or something. I'm yeah. like, well, that might take 20 or 30 years and it might work, but it also might not work because I really, and I'm not trying to doom anybody. I mean, there are people who cure themselves from incurable diseases with ozone therapy or medication or whatever. You know, some people do it with antibiotics. I don't, it doesn't really matter. I think 
though at the end of the day, something else might show up in a way because there's something inside yourself that's creating incoherence. And when you meditate and you know yourself, you're not just healing yourself, you're healing generations that come after you. I really believe that because I created a sick kid because I wasn't managing my stress. And then I started healing my life and she healed. So I think that if people start healing themselves, I feel like disease will start disappearing. I feel like, you know, people aren't going to want to hurt people anymore to have their basic needs met. A lot, that's a big one is poverty. And it doesn't, and for me, that was one of my biggest stories. I did a really good job of being a victim. It was like my full-time job. And when I turned that around and took ownership of my life, that took some deep work. And, you know, it's part of life though. And I wouldn't trade my hardest day for anything. It was all worth the journey. It was all my greatest gift. So how do I sell that to people? I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, I guess just look at my life when I was miserable and broken, bedridden, and I've even experienced homelessness with my daughter in the last couple of years and look at my life now, you know, it's just, it's completely different. And the only thing that changed was me. You know, nobody could do that for me. So there are always going to be, maybe not always, I shouldn't say that. I know words matter, but there are going to be people who don't want to do the work. There are going to be people who drag their feet. But if the majority of people start meditating and doing one of these well-researched meditations like transcendental meditation, I think that's a great one. It just has obstacles, but it's not impossible. If people start doing Joe Dispenza's work or the Monroe Institute meditations, you know, all well-researched, you know, it was the CIA did the Monroe Institute. It's published, it's public, you know, and so... I think if people can start doing some of these and just starting small, I feel like overall that's going to create a big leap. And I feel like that is, that's the way to world peace. I don't know that there's any other way. I believe that it's about consciousness and opening our hearts. And as we begin to do it, it catches on. It's a beautiful ripple effect. And like if people can hate for no reason, people can love for no reason, you know? And when people love for no reason, life just gets better for everybody. And you start to see things that you couldn't see before when you start becoming more conscious. You know, you start to, when you're stressed and stuck in fight or flight, which most of the population in the world is because of poverty, because of, you know, war or whatever, you can't think straight because you become hyper-focused on just what's the next thing I can do to survive. And I lived like that for 36 years and it didn't do me very well. And I couldn't see all the opportunities that were around me. And when I slowed down and closed my eyes for 20 minutes twice a day and started doing that, my body started to heal. I started to slow down and witness all the miracles that were already happening in my life. I just had to stop and appreciate them. And when I stopped and appreciated them, they grew and expanded into this beautiful wholeness that I get to experience every day. And it doesn't mean bad things and hard things don't happen. And that I still, you know, it doesn't mean I don't have challenges. It's just what I do with them. That's the different thing. Like I literally just don't really care that much anymore. like, whatever, it's just a thing. And this thing will pass. And, you know, I can think of a million things in the past that were hard that I thought I didn't have money for, couldn't do physically or eat or whatever the issue was. And it passed and I can't even, you know, I survived it and here I am. So I'm just able to stay present a lot more. And I think if individuals can learn how to get in their hearts, expand their consciousness and stay in this beautiful 
incredibly generous present moment without worrying about the future or recreating the future from the past, which is what we do subconsciously day in and day out. You know, these are all the steps to take to world peace. And I feel like we're evolving as a species, as humanity into this. People are so much more receptive to it. You know, consciousness is the language of the future and it's also the language of right now. And that's because that's where we're at. And if we really want to make a difference in, in health and in medicine and anything we do with wealth, with money, you know, it takes work. I mean, if it took me 36 years of being a victim to create disease, it's probably going to take a few years to get rid of it all the way. You know, if it took 36 years of poverty to create the homelessness, you know, it might take a while to get like on top and above a little bit more than I'd like to be, you know, and just surrendering to that. Like, yeah, it's going to be work. If you want to have a good life, it might be work, but it's worth it. And I think that's also why my passion is getting this involved in schools because teaching kids at a young age, like it's going to be work, but you're young and kids are so much more, their brains are just so much more malleable and they're sponges for this stuff. So I think that's where the real change is going to be. Well, yeah. And I think on that point, right, it's much easier just to never have to unlearn all the stories we tell ourselves, all the toxins and anxiety and depression that builds up over decades that keeps us from being in that eternal present moment. I agree completely. And that's the other thing is, you know, when we are living as these full matter beings, and what I mean is we're not conscious, we don't even know what the quantum field is, we're just stuck in fight or flight, which, you know, our first three energy centers, it can't get up to the heart. It's really hard to create in that space. It's really hard to get out of it. And like the body just starts to shut down. I was allergic to everything. I mean, I couldn't be around mold. I, I've, when I was in Niagara in September, which was not that long after I was really sick with mold toxicity, I stayed with a friend because I was getting over COVID and his house was super moldy. It was on the East Coast and I didn't react to it. I didn't have any of my magic tricks. My, you know, I have a Rife machine that I could have used COVID frequencies. I ran out of, I, I'm big in, you know, I'm vaccinated for COVID, but I also think taking things like ivermectin are helpful. I know it's controversial, but there are tons of studies that support it. So like I, but I had run out of it. Like I didn't have anything and I was fine. I did walking meditations every day and I, I just, I meditated. I, I you know, so when we become more conscious, the point that I'm trying to make is that we become so much more resilient to bacteria, to viruses, because all of these things exist in everybody's body. You know, most people on the planet have some form of like Epstein-Barr virus, which is a form of herpes that's caused from mono, but not everybody's fallen asleep while they're driving, you know, because they've got mono, chronic mono, it's dormant in their bodies. So you know, even Lyme disease, you don't test positive or negative, you test high or low. If you're low, you're considered negative, but everybody's got this junk in their body. Most people do. I mean, it would be weird if somebody had zero, but not everybody's sick from it. You know, there are people who can live in moldy environments and be completely healthy and fine. And I really believe it's just who you're being in the world and how your nervous system is resilient to these things. And if you're living in chronic stress, it breaks down your body. You epigenetically signal all the worst possible genes to become active from those stress hormones. And then, you know, you're headed for a genetic destiny of illness and then you can reverse that. And it's, it takes time. And 
like you said, getting it, get, getting this information out there to kids, to the youth so that they don't have to undo so much. That's life altering <laughs> for sure. Well, Kendra, this has been so much fun chatting with you. I learned a lot as I always do. And so I appreciate you coming back on the show and, and sharing your latest. Thanks, Jordan. It's always a pleasure and always an honor to be here. And I appreciate your wisdom. And I always learn so much from you as well. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. In this conversation, Sophia mentioned that she communicates with her star friends with her heart. The phenomenon of telepathy of the heart is common for those who've encountered extraterrestrial or transdimensional beings, albeit one certainly outside of the accepted paradigm of reality. I've come to believe many fundamental truths about consciousness. That consciousness is everything that it is foundational to both the cosmos and to human physiology, and that it is non-localized. Researchers like Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and Robert John have provided evidence to support so-called psychic phenomenon, demonstrating that our conscious thought can impact physical reality. As part of this changing paradigm, I suspect we'll be forced to recognize mental telepathy as a self-evident truth sooner rather than later. And so if we can prove telepathy of the brain and we accept that consciousness is everything, could we also validate the phenomenon of telepathy of the heart? Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches how the seven main chakras or energy centers interact with and interpret reality. If our brain acts like a radio antenna determining which frequencies to pick up, the heart acts as an amplifier. Positive emotions magnify the strength of the signal while negative emotions weaken it. And when the heart and brain are in coherence, that's when the mystical happens. The heart represents the intersection point where our lower animalistic chakras meet our higher spiritual chakras. Not only that, for the past 30 years, science has shown that our heart literally has a mind of its own. In 1991, Dr. J. Andrew Armour showed that the heart has as many as 40,000 neurons, neurons which function independently of the brain. To the materialists, this can all sound like hippy-dippy nonsense. But to more spiritually evolved entities, perhaps not. Perhaps they long ago understood that consciousness is everything. That much is lost through verbal, written, and even mental communication. Therefore, it's best to communicate intuitively through feelings, memory, and the abstract expression of creative intelligence. As humans become a star-faring civilization and establish diplomatic relations with extraterrestrials, the question of interspecies communications will become a pertinent problem to solve. As we tackle this problem, what mysteries of the heart might we discover?
there's a really, really, really want you to show All your colors to the light so we can grow There we know how on this journey that we can go We can work it out If you lost in the blue Just tell me what you No 